listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Seven traits from the life of King David um, that you can adopt in your own life. And I believe these are seven things that made him great, that made him extremely great. Uh, Of course, we know the Bible tells us he was a man after God's own heart. But we're going to cover these seven things in the broadcast today. You can adopt them into your life. You can use them. And uh, if you'll make them part of your character, uh, the same greatness, I believe, will show up in your life. Because these are things that pleased God that he did. Um, Before we jump into that, though, let me say, I'm very, very excited to see you uh, in Allentown, Pennsylvania in the month of November. Uh, We're going to do a one-night revival meeting. Uh, in Bethlehem, PA, which is right next to Allentown at Central Assembly of God. And everybody is welcome on that Friday night, November the 12th. We're calling it the Victory Tribe Homecoming Weekend. And uh, one night only in the church, 7 p.m. We want to see you there. Bring people with you uh, right outside of Allentown, Bethlehem. And then, of course, our partners know um, that on the Saturday after, We're going to be having our partner banquet luncheon uh, at the Renaissance Hotel in Allentown, which is full and there's no more room. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you. It's going to be awesome. Uh, We have, I think, about 100 people registered to come and hang out and be with us at the uh, at the luncheon. So very much looking forward to hanging with you guys. It's been a powerful year already, by far uh, the best year we've ever seen. And so I'm already giving God thanks for what he's done but it's going to just get better as we hit the fall. Um, do you know that answer, Tiffany? Are there still blocked rooms available at the hotel? We can check that out for you, Jess, and, uh, and shoot you an email. Um, I am not sure unless Jenna's watching and she knows. Morning, Dave. Uh, I saw my dad jump on. Love you, Dad. We're jumping in. Seven uh, traits that you can steal, you can adopt uh, from the life of King David. They made him great. And they will provoke greatness in your own life because these are, these seven things all caused him to be somebody who was pleasing to God. And if God approves of your life, if God approves of you, his favor comes upon you. Um, In fact, I'm thinking of a verse of scripture right now from the book of Psalms. It's the 84th Psalm and the 11th verse where the Bible says that God will not withhold any good thing, not one, from those that walk uprightly or righteously. And so no question about it. If your life is pleasing to God, he will not withhold any blessing from you uh, as you are walking and doing what he's called you to do. So I want to give you seven. You can take them down. You can write them down. If you haven't uh, shared the broadcast yet, help me out. uh, Do that. More people need to hear this and see this because especially in the day that we're living in, uh, where there's Christians that are compromising everywhere, everywhere, uh, we need strong believers to stand up, uh, speaking of a, a final remnant, a remnant of people in the last days that will do what 
God wants them to do. That's Psalm 84, 11, Aaron. And uh, no good thing will God withhold from those that walk uprightly. And so I'm going I'm to break these seven down for you today. And by the way, I'm back all week. And so I'll be here uh, this morning all the way through uh, Friday morning. And what day, what day do we leave? Do you know? Okay, so Monday as well. So I'll be here all this week and Monday morning as well um, for these broadcasts. You don't want to miss it. Carolyn's back Wednesday and Friday uh, this week as well. So don't miss it. Got new stuff for you all week. Um, let's jump into these. If you want to write them down, I encourage you to put them in the comments, put them in your notes. But number one, and this is a big one, I need to talk about it. The first thing I see uh, from the life of David that really brought greatness to him is that David did not care what people thought. That's, that's the first thing. David did not care what people thought. That is so huge. I mean, I can tell you right now that one of the biggest things that keeps people from stepping out to do what they're called to do is that they're afraid of the criticism of other people. They're afraid of the criticism of other people. And so they don't step out to do what they're called to do, what they're anointed to do because of the criticism of other people around them. And who cares in all honesty? Who cares what people think or say? If God called you to do something, if he's anointed you to do something, then step out and do it. You know, it's, it's crazy because when we get to heaven and stand in front of the Lord, we're going to be standing there by ourselves. Meaning, even though, it might, even though people might have criticized us and made fun of us and mocked us and all those things, they're not going to stand in front of the Lord to give an account for what we did. Only we will give an account to God for what we did or didn't do with the word or instruction that he gave us. Knowing that thought, knowing that principle ought to make you think now twice about refusing to step out, refusing to activate your calling because of what somebody else might say, think, or do. Because you have to remember, they will not answer for your life, your call, but you will. And so I made up my mind, if I'm the one that's going to answer to God with what he's put in my hands, for what he's put in my hands, I'm not going to allow someone else that's not even producing themselves. You know, many of the people that, you know, I've noticed this, people that are productive, people that are actually getting things done in the kingdom, they don't have time to criticize other people. They don't have time to like always be just talking about what others are doing because they're engaged in what they're doing. They're engaged in what they're doing. And so normally the people that are criticizing you are the ones that aren't doing anything anyway. You got the armchair quarterbacks that are sitting out with nacho cheese all over their face saying, I wouldn't have thrown that pass, Tom Brady. Okay. Well, you've never thrown any passes. So how about that? And so a lot of times we're uh, stifled um, because of the fact uh, that we think, well, we're going to be criticized by others. Who cares? It doesn't matter if we're criticized by others. That, 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 means, that means nothing. God has anointed you and God has called you for your purpose. And I see that about David. He didn't care 
what other people thought. Good morning, Letty. He didn't care what other people thought. Uh, let me give you an exa- some exa- examples of this. Uh, I'm thinking about when he left his father and left the sheep and was bringing the bread and the cheese to the captain of the guard. He gets there and here's what Goliath starts to say. And he gets offended about it and starts wondering how come nobody's defeated this giant yet. And notice this, his brothers all start to berate him because of what he's saying and because of what he's doing. His brothers all berate him. They're, ma- they're mocking him. They're, 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 and here's the thing. Did that stop David from stepping out against Goliath? Absolutely not. His brothers all gave him a hard time. Not only that, go further. Who was even more influential than his brothers? The king, King Saul. You're too small. You can't fight this giant. This is a man of war. You're just a young boy. Nope. Even the king's words did not sway him in the other direction. He said, no, I'm I'm doing it. He said, well, if you're going to do it, he finally talked the king into it. Well, if you're going to do it, use my armor. No, I've not proven those things. And in the same way that uh, God gave and put into my hand the lion and the bear, he'll put this giant into my hand. Now, I want to say something to you. Notice the first person or the first people that were critical of David, his own family. And a lot of times that is what happens to people. Uh, I think about the fact that, you know, people get called to do something for God. They get called into the ministry or they get called to do uh, things for God. And sometimes it's their own family that says to them, oh, I don't know if you should be doing that. You need to go do some other career. You need to do this. You need to change your plans. You need to do that. And a lot of times the first resistance you'll get will be from family and close friends. And David dealt with that. I think of the fact that, um, you know, even when he was bringing the ark back to Jerusalem as the king, now he's the king. But notice this, because the first example I gave you, he was just a young man. (laughs) Sean said, my own brother said I was not spiritual. I was just spooky. (laughs) I mean, think about this. He started off as a young man. That's the first example I gave you. But in the next example, he's now the king. He's now the king. And so did David ever allow his progression and his promotion to stop him? He never got too dignified, did he? He never got too dignified and started caring what people think now that he had a station of, you know, I'm I'm the king. And think about this. He wasn't just the king. He was the king. He was a priest and he was a prophet all in one man. He was a king, a priest, and a prophet all in one man. Do you think that stopped David from doing what the Lord? No, he didn't care. And I think about him bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And what does the Bible tell us that he did? While he could have easily appointed dancers and praisers to just go out ahead of him and do his praising and dancing for him, he didn't do that. The Bible says he took off his kingly robes and put on the linen ephod of the priest. And he went out and did his own dancing. And he didn't just, he didn't just do any kind of dancing. The Bible says, and he danced before the Lord 
with all of his might, all of his might, which means he wasn't holding back. He was going off to the point where here's another critic. His own wife is looking down from her room and sees the, the level of his wildness for God. And she starts to criticize him. So now he's had criticism from his brothers. He's had criticism from his father-in-law. He's had criticism from his own wife, right? He's getting criticized from every side. Do you think that stopped him? No. In fact, David is the one who said, I'm going to get more undignified than this before it's over. So he never allowed anybody's opinion to stop him from doing what he was called to do. He never allowed anybody's criticism to stop him from what he was called to do. And I want you to be the same way. You're part of the victory tribe. I don't want you to be stunted in your growth, to be hindered in your calling because of what you think somebody may say about you. The criticism that may come, and it does come. It does come. I get criticized all the time. I get people that disagree. They cuss me out. They write things, tell me I'm a false prophet, all kinds of stuff. I get criticized all the time. Jesus was criticized all the time. If you're doing anything, you will be criticized. Doesn't matter what you do. If you do anything, (laughs) you will be criticized. So just understand that that goes with the calling. It goes with uh, the purpose that's on your life. And just expect it and don't worry about it. Who cares? Your value is not in the, uh, it's not based on other people's opinions anyway. That's not what your value is based on. It's based on what God has made you to be. And so you need to remember that. My, in fact, I want you to put it in the comments. My value is not based on people's opinion. Put that in the comments. It'll be the most freeing thing that you've ever instituted into your life. My value is not based upon other people's opinion. <laughs> put that in, man, and, and write it down. If you've got to put it on your mirror, write it on and, and stick it to the mirror. My value is not based on other people's opinion. Yeah, and that's the other thing, Stephanie. You know, Stephanie, put it on. You'll get, you'll get criticized for doing stuff, and then you'll get criticized for not doing stuff. <laughs> you get criticized when you do something, and then if you don't do it, how come you're not doing anything? Well, you, you get criticized either way. And so I'd rather just go ahead and please the Lord and do what he's asked me to do and not care about the opinions of other people. So put it in the comments. My value is not based upon other people's opinion because it's not. And so number one, David didn't care what people thought. And that is extremely, extremely important. Number two, the second thing that you can see about David that I believe made him a great leader and a great man is that he led by example. David led by example powerful thought. He, he didn't just, he wasn't one of those, uh, do, do what I, uh, 
do what I say, not what I do. He wasn't one of those guys. He led by example to the point it's actually a miracle. It's actually a miracle that David didn't die in battle somewhere. He fought that much as the king. He fought that much. And you know how David died? Old age. Died of old age. And here's a man that fought his entire life. He had a group of mighty men that surrounded him, but he was the leader because he was a mighty man. And he led by example. They followed his example. The people followed his example. And you start to see how powerful it is to lead by example. In that, in that story that I just gave you, uh, where he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. Notice that not only did he not care what people thought, Notice, as I said, he didn't appoint people to dance for him, praise for him, worship for him, sacrifice for him. He did it and he was the king. He did it and he was the king. You lead by example. That, that's the key because, you know, one of the things that I always try to encourage people to recognize is that people are always watching you. Now, I'm not talking about the, the ones that are criticizing you. I'm talking about there's people that are watching you to see how you'll react to certain things. Do you know your children will follow your example? Your grandchildren will follow your example. There's, there's loved ones, there's uh, coworkers, there's people at your school, whatever. They're watching you. They know you're a Christian. They know you serve the Lord. You know, and, and I've had it happen to where people come and actually comment. They'll be like, man, I, never, I noticed... Wow, you're always singing. You're always happy. I've never seen you have a bad day. I've never seen you upset before. Do you even get mad? You know, I've heard people say that. Do you even get upset? Do you even get sad? Do you even get depressed? It's like, no, I don't get sad. I, I don't get, I, I get mad. I don't get sad. <laughs> but, you know, there's people watching and they're noticing. They're noticing what you are doing and how you react. And so we don't lead uh, by just telling people what to do, and we don't follow others. We've already got our orders. Our orders come from the Word of God. And so there's people watching us all the time. People watching us all the time to see how we're going to act, how we're going to react. It will be a testimony in and of itself when you lead by example. Morning, Brother Ted. When you lead by example. And the key is this. David was always willing to do it. He wasn't going to ask somebody to do something he wouldn't do. Notice, <laughs> I love this, but uh, if you notice, he didn't just let the lions and the bears eat the sheep and then go back to his father and say, you know, we need to come up with some kind of security measures because there are lions and bears. I'd like you to send some, uh, some, some warriors out there, some guards out there. And he just killed them. He didn't go out on the battlefield and hear Goliath start talking and say, um, you know, this giant, he's really blaspheming the Lord, our God. We should probably have an elite squad go take him out. No, he said, I'll take him out. Let me do it. I'll lead by example. I'll show you what victory looks like. I'll show you what victory looks like. And, and, and notice this. When he took over as king, many people don't recognize this, but uh, the Ark of the Covenant was not in Jerusalem. That's why he had to go get it. But notice he didn't just say, hey, go get that Ark and bring it back here for me. No, he said, I'm going too. 
We're all going. And he led by example. He was showing them that we need the anointing in this kingdom. And I'm not going to just ask you to go get the anointing. I'm going as the leader. You come with me. And he was the one bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. Not staff, not volunteers. You see what I mean? Leading by example. You've got to do it. That's number two. People will follow what you do. Not so much what you say, what you do. Anytime I've ever gone to any kind of a corporation, even if it's a church, I notice that it takes on the culture of the leader. The, 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 the organization always takes on the culture, the nature of the leader. It's very true. It's like, um, you know, even just these last three meetings where I was life in Christ church. Well, pastors, Joe and Sarah, their DNA is on that. The people have their, uh, nature, their culture, uh, champion in Washington, PA. Well, the people of that church have taken on the nature and the culture of pastors, Nathan and Joey. It's clear. It's evident. It's just evident. You can see it. That's how it works. They emulate what you do. They emulate what you do. And so leading by example is the key. You know, if I want my kids to be, to be people that read the Bible, they need to see me reading the Bible. Remember this. If you want greatness in your home, if you want your kids to be uh, people of prayer, they got to see you pray. If you want them to be people of praise, they got to see you praise. If they want, if you want them to read the word, you got to read the word. See? And so that's the key. They're, they're following the example that they have. Uh, let me give you, uh, let me give you uh, another, uh, example of this. Some things that we call, I was talking with the band about this last week. Some things that have been referred to in the past as a generational curse, they're not generational curses at all. Uh, as far as in the spiritual realm, you think about something, uh, as much as like poor health. Well, you know what? It's not a generational curse, but you know what it is? Learned behaviors that have just become the culture of a family. Well, this is how we eat. Oh, we, we're not really people that exercise. Well, we don't really do that. And so what happens is the learned behavior of a family carries on from father to son, father to son, you know, mother to daughter, mother to daughter. And those behaviors become, well, this is what our family does. This is what our family does. And if that's what your family does, then it's going to yield certain results. But the reason your family keeps doing it is because it's a learned behavior. It's emulation. They're emulating their parents. They're emulating their parents. I mean, if you wake up every morning, if your family wakes up every morning and has, you know, biscuits and gravy and, you know, whatever, three, three things, uh, apple and orange juice. And, you know, if that's how you eat and that's how your family eats, becomes your custom, becomes your way. You say, well, you got to pray for us because there's this generational attack coming against us, generational curse coming against us. Everybody's overweight and our family has diabetes. Well, it's not because there's a demon of diabetes that got in your body. It's learned behaviors. It's a lack of, you, you understand what I'm saying? So what, what we begin to see is if you lead by example, it carries on and carries on and carries on. And that's what God wants. He wants us to lead our families, uh, our churches, our friends by example. They want to see what we do 
and emulate it. Number three, uh, I love this. This could be really, really big right now in 2021. David, third, third trait you can steal. David stood for God without being prompted. I want you to put that in the comments. Number three, he stood for God without being prompted. What do I mean by that? Shouldn't always have to get on people's case. Come on now. Come on, you guys. Start. You know, that's, that's what I'm, I'm thinking of right now. Is like, if I looked at the uh, example of David, when he got to the battlefield and the moment he heard Goliath speaking, did anybody have to come up to David and say, come on, you need to fight that guy. Come on, you need to take him out. No. And in fact, I'm going to give you another thing that may blow your mind if you've never seen this in the Bible before. Go back through First uh, Samuel. You go back and read First Samuel for yourself. Try to find a place. Try to find one place where God told David to fight Goliath or kill Goliath. You know what? You won't find a place in the scripture where God spoke to David to fight or kill Goliath. You know why? God never did. David went on to that battlefield and heard the blasphemy. Heard the blasphemy coming from the mouth of that uncircumcised Philistine. And it so offended his faith that he said, I've got to stop him. I've got to stop him. I've got to shut his mouth. God never told him to do it. The Holy Spirit never told him to do it. But you know what? The Bible says he had such a close relationship with God. He was a man after God's own heart. That he said, I cannot allow this uncircumcised Philistine to talk like this about my God. Now, uh, you think about that. His love for God was so strong, he couldn't even endure blasphemy. Think about the fact that he points out, if you've never had your attention brought to this fact, think about it. He points out this uncircumcised Philistine. You know what he's trying to say? Here's a dude that's got no covenant. That's what he was pointing out, by the way, if you didn't know. Uncircumcised, meaning he's got no covenant with God. Here's a guy with no covenant who is mocking our God. And actually trying to dominate people who do have a covenant. That's what he's saying. You're going to sit there and let him talk the way he's talking on a guy that's out of covenant. That's blaspheming the most high God standing up there. And you begin to realize David couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take it. And he stood for God without being prompted. In fact, not only was he not prompted, they were trying to stop him. No, don't fight him. You're just, you, who are you? You're just a kid. You're not a warrior. He's a warrior. Not only are they not prompting him and the Lord didn't prompt him and people aren't prompting him. Nobody is. And they're trying to stop him. <laughs> he, he can't be stopped. He's like, I'm standing. And that's how it is in 2021, by the way, is that there will be people that will actively try to get you to stop standing for the things of God. They'll do actively try 
to get you to stop standing for what the word of God says. They want you to shut up. They want you to sit down. They want you to cool off. They want you to chill out. Just chill out with all that Christian stuff. Chill out with all that Bible stuff. Chill out with all that holiness, righteousness. Chill out with signs and wonders and miracles. Chill out with that Holy Ghost stuff. They don't want it. They got an anti-Christ spirit. And this world does not want the Christian people of God to stand up and do what they're called to do. That does not, they do not want that to happen. And so what are they going to try to do? Oppose you. But we have to be people that will stand for righteousness, for the word of God, for the uh, uh, king. See? Without being prompted. If somebody's always got to be prompted, you know what I, I always wonder? How much is it really in you? How much is it really in you if you've always got to be prompted? How much of the love is really there? How much of the dedication is really there? If someone always has to prompt you to do it, come on, come on, come on. There's no dedication. That's where we have to judge ourselves. I got to get on fire. Because if I've always got to be prompted to do this thing for the Lord, then what's, what's the story really behind my heart? What's really going on? Why do I always have to get told to lift my hands? How come I always have to be told to praise God? How come I always have to be told to worship? You ever wonder that? Like people talk about being sold out for God. You see them in the pews on Sunday. They're just sitting there with their hands in their pockets, just like they're watching a show. Why do you always have to be told to lift your hands? Why do you have to be always told to sing it out, to dance and to praise God? Well, why is that? Why are you always having to be prompted? It's because people have not crucified their flesh and they don't let their spirits lead. And that's the key. We have to stand for God without being prompted. Number four, big one. David was always willing to fight. This is big. This is what Paul told Timothy. This is what Paul told Timothy. He said, you need to fight the good fight of faith and you need to lay hold on eternal life. He was always, number four, willing to fight. Always willing to fight. And that's how we need to be. Because let me just say this. If Paul said that same thing to Timothy, that's something that the Christian church needs to grasp. I don't believe that that's just something that Paul told Timothy that was only for Timothy. It's for every believer. We all need to fight the good fight of faith. We all need to lay hold on eternal life. And the thing is, is that there would, there's no need for that kind of a command if there's not a temptation to stop fighting, right? You don't need to be commanded to do something that you automatically do. And that's why when Paul said to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, you don't have to command them to do that if they were going to automatically be strong in the Lord because they're Christians, right? Same with this, fight the good fight of faith. You don't have to command somebody to do that if they're automatically going to fight no matter what. So if you missed it, number one, stop caring what people think. Number two, lead by example. Number three, stand for God without being prompted. And number four, you're always willing to fight. Because that's the temptation, is to give up the fight and go with the flow. 
give up the fight and go with the flow. That is the method some denominational churches are taking now. You know what the method is? If you can't beat them, join them. And so now you've got like the Methodist church and the Unitarian church and all them ordaining homosexuals into the pulpit. If you can't beat them, join them. That's, that's their, (laughs) that's their motto apparently now. If you can't beat them, join them. Because what's the temptation? To give up the fight and to keep on coasting with the rest of the current of the world. Just do what everybody's doing. Do what everybody else is doing. So you don't give up the fight. You're called to fight. David was called to fight. Every Christian is called to fight. And I want you to put this in the comments. I heard Bishop David Oyedepo say uh, this one time. He said, only fighters are qualified to be winners. Put that in the comments. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. Exactly. Taylor said, join them in hell. No, I'm good. (laughs) I agree. I don't understand other than, um, other than I know it's Bible prophecy. Missile said a few teachers just got fired for not bending toward gender neutral teachings. I get it. Good for them. Good for them. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. And the thing that I'm noticing more than ever is, of course, we know it's Bible prophecy. We know that in the last days, the hearts of many will grow cold and people will leave the faith. I get all those things. I know that. But you're you're just starting to see people one by one, give up the fight, give up the fight. They're throwing in the towel. Give up the fight, give up the fight. I'm not giving up the fight. I'm called to fight the good fight of faith. And so are you. And as we do, we lay hold on the promises of eternal life. And that's what David did his whole life. He fought. In fact, did you know it was God who said to David at the end of his life, because you realize David was old and he was now, even though he'd gone his whole life doing this, he was ready now to go on and build the temple of God. He's like, I ain't done. I'll build the temple next. And God's like, no, I can't let you build the temple. I can't let you build the temple. Why not? Because you've fought and shed too much blood. You've shed too much blood. So David had fought so much into his life that it was too much. He'd done so much, he couldn't even build the temple of God. And uh, the Lord said, but your son Solomon will build it. Your son Solomon will build it. Let me make a point here. I've preached on this before. If you study this, God tells David, because you have fought and won throughout your whole life, your whole reign, his whole reign as king was filled with fighting and winning. But then notice what he said. He said, now, because you did that, your son Solomon, his entire reign will be in peace. Hallelujah. His entire reign will be in peace which means that you can fight and win battles that your children will never have to fight. Never. Maybe before you, for example, everybody in your family was an alcoholic. Maybe before you, everybody in your family line was in poverty. 
maybe before you, everybody in your family line uh, suffered with domestic abuse. You can, as you've come into the kingdom, become a new creature in Christ Jesus. You can cut that off from this day. And now your children, they'll know, they'll never know what it is to be hung over. They'll never know what it is to be high. They'll never know what it is to be beaten by their husband. They'll never know what it is to live in poverty and barely be able to get by and be on food stamps and have to go eat government cheese and get constipated because they can't afford to go buy groceries and they can't afford to go. You understand what I'm saying? You can break that. You can break that. Quentin's watching from Algebra 1. <laughs> watching from Algebra 1. Welcome, all those from Algebra 1. Just put it on speaker and put it up in front of the class. Let me teach the class. You can fight and win. That's right. Ava said, I declare divorce is ending with me. I won't be like my parents and grandparents. Amen. Amen. We're willing to fight and we're willing to win. That's number four. Number five, number five, this is a big one. David understood honor. David understood honor. Put this in the comments. Number five, live by honor. Live by honor. Uh, What do I mean by that? Well, even though he was rebuked, and I can point out a couple of uh, areas in his life, but even though he was rebuked because he could have killed Saul when Saul was pursuing him, trying to take David out. And God commanded him, don't touch Saul. Don't touch him. Don't touch him. And so David was not allowed to harm him, was not allowed to kill him. But David would, David thought it would be okay if he sent Saul a little message. And so David was hiding in a cave and Saul came in and Saul went to sleep. And when Saul went to sleep, David came and cut a little piece of his robe off to let him know I was here. I could have killed you. And God even rebuked David for cutting the little piece off of Saul's robe. Even rebuked him for that. You're not to touch him. Now, David could have killed him. He didn't kill him. But let me say this. Another point in David's life where he lived by honor. He was already anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. I want you to get this. Already anointed to be the next king of Israel. But even after that prophecy and that anointing, he was still looking over the sheep still looking over his father's sheep, still obeying his father's commands. Now watch this. His his father finally gives him a command to just transport bread and cheese to the battle site or the battlefield for the captain of the guard. And then he was supposed to get a... uh, report on how his brothers were doing and bring it back to his dad. He could have easily said, Hey, do you know who you're talking to? I'm the next King of Israel. I don't carry bread and cheese around. I'm not UPS for bread and cheese. He could have gotten an attitude. He could have stood up against his father said, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. You know, I, 
He didn't do any of that. In fact, we don't even have record of his response. He just obeyed. He just honored his father. Just honored his father. Didn't kill Saul when he could have. And Saul was out for his life. Saul was out for his life. Didn't kill Saul. Honored his father. Lived by honor. Honor will cause you to be promoted. Honor will cause you to be promoted. I want you to see this and put it in the comments. Honor will cause me to be promoted. It's absolutely true. What you honor, you draw to your life. What you despise, you drive away from your life. This is a principle you need to catch. What you honor, you draw to your life. What you despise, you drive away from your life. Anything you hate, anything you despise, anything that irritates you, you drive it away from your life. Anything you honor, you draw it into your life. You draw it into your life. And that's the key. And David lived by honor, even though he made mistakes, and he did make mistakes. But he was a man after God's own heart. That's number five, man of honor. Number six, let me give you this. David understood sacrifice. Now this is a very interesting, interesting story. David understood sacrifice. In this final chapter of 2 Samuel, the 24th chapter, David had sinned. And he was going to offer a sacrifice to God to avert the plague from Israel. And so he's instructed, the prophet tells him, go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of around of the Jebusite. Okay. So in order to avert the plague from Israel, David has to build an altar and give an offering to God. But it's sacrifice. I love this passage because it's such a teaching moment for every believer. Look now. This is 2 Samuel 24. And I started with verse 18. I'll read to the end of the chapter. And Gad, who was the prophet, Gad's the prophet. And Gad came that day to David and said to him, Go up, raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. So David went up at Gad's word, as the Lord commanded. And when Arana looked down, he saw that the king and his servants were coming toward him. And Arana went out and paid homage to the king with his face to the ground. And Arana said, why is my Lord, the king come to his servant? And David said to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that my, or that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Arana said to David, let my Lord, the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him. Here's the oxen right here. And here's the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes of oxen for the wood. All of this, O king, Arana gives to the king. 
And he said to them, may the Lord God accept you. Now look, verse 24 is a lesson that we've got to get in our spirits. Verse 24 is a massive lesson for every believer. Notice, but the king said to Arauna, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. And then here's the line that you got to get in your spirit. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And he built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. Watch. Do you think the Lord would have responded to his plea if he offered God something that didn't cost him anything? No. And see, he knew that. He knew it because he was a man after God's own heart. He said, do you honestly think I'm going to give God something that means nothing to me? And here is a massive lesson. This will cause you to increase steadily. Let me, let me, let me just say this because I'll, I'll group it in with number seven, which is that David always was a generous giver. That's number seven. If you want to put it in, David always was a generous giver all the way to the point of the end of his life in first Chronicles 29, when they go to build the temple, David gives $6 billion worth of gold and silver, $6 billion worth. His elders joined him, and with all the offerings, they gave $20 billion of gold and silver. So, number seven, he's a generous giver, but notice this. Notice how he gives. He's a man that understood sacrifice. Well, what does it mean to understand sacrifice? It means that when you decide to interact with God in anything, You never do anything flippantly and you never do something for God that means nothing to you. See, this is why that this is such a big, big lesson for Christians to learn. I know, I know I can say this here. I know this is hard for when I go to, if I go to churches sometimes, or if I'm a guest somewhere, it's harder for people maybe to grasp this. Those of you that watch this broadcast every day, part of the victory tribe, it's not hard for you because of the kind of person you are. But notice this, it's uh, a principle that David understood that it doesn't mean anything to God if it doesn't mean anything to me. It doesn't mean anything to God if it doesn't mean anything to me. And so he, he said this, I will not give, give God something that costs me nothing. And I want you to put that phrase right there into the comments section. I will not give God something that costs me nothing. It's huge. I will not give God something that costs me nothing. And so what are we seeing here? We're seeing that if it's going to mean something to God, it has to mean something to me. Um, that's why if you, if you've heard me talk about this before, One of the, um, one of the, the goals that my wife and I said, set every year 
is um, we don't want to just give more to God total. And we do. And every year we give more in total to the Lord than we have ever before. I think we broke that record this year in like May or June, which blew, blew my mind. Like by May, I think by the end of May, by the end of May, we had already given more in total than all 12 months of last year. That's the key, Aaron, kingdom slice. If you looked at it as a pie chart, the largest slice of the pie goes to the kingdom. So um, we don't just make a goal to give the largest total to God than we have any other year, but we also set another goal. And our other goal is I'm going to give more in a one-time offering. So what's the goal? Give the largest one-time offering to God that I've ever given. And it's going to change every year because it's going to keep getting bigger. But what does that do? Here's the question. What does that do? What it does is a few things, actually. The first thing that it does, in fact, I'm going to give you just a little mini thing here at the end. You can put it in, put it in the comments and write it down. Um, what does sacrifice do? First, ask that question in the comments. First question, uh, the only question, I'm going to finish with this. What does sacrifice do? Why is it important? Put that question in the comments. What does sacrifice do? Um, and then I'll give you a letter since we've already done numbers. <laughs> a, A, sacrifice provokes your faith. That's A. So what does sacrifice do? A, it provokes your faith. It provokes your faith. Um, what do I mean by that? Just this. As God increases you, things that used to take faith won't take faith anymore. It's just like in the natural realm, when you learn something new as you grow and as you get older and as you mature, things aren't as hard for you as they used to be. Why? Because you're growing in knowledge, you're growing in uh, stature and wisdom and ability. So it used to be hard to tie your shoes when you were learning, but it's not hard for you anymore. It used to be hard to read when you, I'm, I'm going through with Teddy right now. Teddy's learning to read. He's doing an excellent job. He can sound out words, you know, and he can sit there with his book and say, you know, at is on. And he sounds them out. The cat is on the mat. You know, the cat is happy to be on the mat. Well, that's hard for him now, but it's not hard for me because I've grown. So what used to be hard no longer is hard. The same is true in the kingdom is that as God increases you, what used to be a sacrifice is no longer a sacrifice. And so does not provoke your faith in the same way anymore. Doesn't provoke your faith in the same way anymore. And I'm not asking you to write it in. I just want you to think back. Think back over the last few years. What's the largest offering you've given this year? What's the largest offering you gave last year? What's the largest offering you gave in 19 and 18 and 17? Are they all the same? For example, if your church receives some sort of a, uh, 
uh, like a resurrection offering at an Easter time or a Christmas offering or a New Year's offering. And they challenge the people of the church to really sow a seed by faith. Look back and say, well, do I do the same thing every year? In 18, 19 and 20, when they took the New Year's offering or the Easter offering or the Christmas offering, did I give $500 every year in those offerings? Did I give $1,000 each time? Then the question you got to ask yourself is, how come you're still giving the same thing? How come there's no growth? Are you still provoking your faith? Because A, a sacrifice will provoke your faith and it sparks growth. So, you know, if you started off years ago giving $100 offerings, are you still doing that? Is it still provoking your faith though? Is it still a sacrifice? You see what I mean? That's A, what does a sacrifice do? B, the second thing a sacrifice does is it ensures that money will never control you. That's B. Number one, A, it provokes your faith. Number two, it ensures that money will never control you, always. That's B. The spirit, what the King James calls the spirit of mammon, money. You cannot love God and love money at the same time the Bible teaches it. Money will try to control you, but money is a tool to use for good. But B, it ensures you're not controlled by money. That's what a sacrifice does. A, it provokes your faith. B, it ensures that you're not controlled by money. Put that in the comments. I'll not be controlled by money. C, it's a test. Well, I guess I I won't say C. I'll include this with B. It's a test of your heart. It's a test of your heart. You see where you're at. That's why I believe tithing is such a test. Because will you do it? Will you do it at every level? Because no matter what level you're at, the tithe grows 10%. The amount gets bigger and bigger. If you used to make 50 grand a year, 5,000 was your tithe. Now you're making 150 and your tithe's gone up to $15,000. Will you still do it? It's a test of your heart. It's a test of your heart. Big man. But here's, here's the C that I really want to get to. The C is What does a sacrifice do? It ensures that what you are doing for God is meaningful. This is big. This is the point that I was trying to make with David here. uh, Number six and seven understood sacrifice. C is this. It ensures that what you're doing for God is meaningful. It's meaningful. God, by the way, as somebody mentioned in the comments, Cain and Abel, God's not required to accept every, every offering, only the ones that are done in obedience. Woo, come on, man. What if the Lord, let me ask you a question. What if the Lord spoke to you to sow a thousand dollars 
and you sewed 750. Is that a $750 offering or did you just rob God $250? Think about it that way. Because I want to make sure that what I'm doing for God is meaningful. So there's only two ways to do that. By number one, obeying an instruction that he gives you. Or number two, as Paul told the Corinthians, you must each choose in your heart how much to give. So the Lord can speak to you about something that you're going to do, or you can choose and say, you know what? I'm going to do this much. Now you can't choose something different than he told you. Like I just said, if he told you a thousand, you can't choose 750. But if he hasn't given you a specific leading, if you haven't, if he hasn't given you a specific leading, you're welcome to choose what you're going to give to God. And so here's the thing. And this is really the thing. How do I make the choice? How do I make the choice? It's got to have to be by faith because without faith, it's impossible to please God. So this is why I said my wife and I set a goal and we say, you know what? This year, the largest one-time seed. Now in years past, it's always been uh, during a new year's offering. And again, this year, even though we've sown a, we've sown massively this year, but even though we're going to sow again, massively come new years and we're even saving towards, and we're not stopping our tithing. We're not stopping our giving, but we're putting money aside because you ever think about this? Who's thought, who's ever thought of this? It's like, there's people that will save money to go on vacation. There's people that'll save money for a car, save money for a hobby, save money for a piece of tech, entertainment. But when have you ever saved money toward a seed that you wanted to sow? When have you ever saved money because you wanted to release something huge into the kingdom? I'm not saying like I'm waiting all year to sow all my money on one. No, I'm still sowing, largely. Tithing, sowing, blessing the poor, and, and blessing men of God with seeds of honor. It's a whole nother, that's a whole nother level. Tithing, giving offerings to the church, um, blessing the poor, which we've not stopped doing any of those three, and systematically and regularly seeds of honor to men of God that, that have spoken into your life. That's scriptural, by the way. But also that those kinds of offerings that stretch you, they stretch you. When was the last time that you did something that stretched you, that stretched you? You're like, man, this is a serious, this is serious. And your heart, you better believe your heart's attached to it. David did these things. David did these things. Once again, before I pray for you, listen to it. He didn't care what people thought. He led by example stood for God without being prompted. He was willing to fight, lived a life of honor, understood sacrifice and became a generous giver. Now I'm going to pray because we're, we're entering in today. What is today? Today's the last day of August. We're entering into the ninth month tomorrow. We're entering into the ninth month. It's an important time. It's an important time. The final quarter of this year is going to be amazing. I don't care what's going on in the world. 
I don't care what's going on in the government. I don't care what that stuff is not allowed to affect us as the people of God. It's not allowed to affect us. We're going to stand in God's favor and his protection and his healing and his delivering power. Our families will look different than other families. We will be blessed. So I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray right now and ask God that as we get ready to cross over into a new month, things are changing for the better. No matter what level you're standing at right now, you might be doing great. Get ready. It's going to be greater. It's reaping season. In fact, I want you to put that in the comments, all caps if you want. It's reaping season. It's reaping season. Father, I pray for every Victory Tribe member, those that are watching, those that are listening. And I pray right now that as we cross over into this new month, starting tomorrow, that you'd open the windows of heaven over us. Let us be in perfect position for promotion in the month of September. In Jesus' name, we declare through our faith and through our obedient actions, it's reaping season. In Jesus' mighty name, it's reaping season. We declare it. Harvests are coming into our hands. In Jesus' mighty name, we will make more of an impact in the last quarter than we've ever made as we run through 2021. Now, I take authority over every attack that's come against your precious people, Lord. I ask you to blow your breath from heaven and blow every wind, like a hurricane from heaven, blow every wicked thing out of their path, away from their home, away from their children, their bodies, minds, finances, relationships. In the mighty name of Jesus, we declare it. We are blessed. We are free by the power of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' mighty name. And if you believe it, somebody shout amen, throw some fire, throw some hands in the comments section. I'm encouraging you at the end of this broadcast today. Big things are happening. Be a part of big things. Be a part of something big. Stand and sow a seed. Partner with us. It's time, man. Jesus is coming. It's time to make a move in the kingdom of God. I know there's probably people that were watching today that as I was talking about that, sacrificial giving, the Lord's already speaking to your heart, already speaking to your spirit. It's time to stretch yourself. It's time to do what you've never done. And there's no better time to do it than now. Jesus is coming soon. Souls need to be reached. And this ministry is impacting the world and you're a part of it. And so here's what I want you to do. Whatever it is the Lord's told you to do or what you're choosing to do by faith. If you're going to partner with this ministry, go to miracleword.com. Click on the partner tab, fill out the form and stand with us on a monthly basis. And then of course, if you'd like to give a one-time seed, you can do it on the website, debit or credit card. You can use PayPal or Venmo, Cash App, hashtag donate, Zelle, cryptocurrency. There's many different ways that you can sow uh, into this ministry. And we say, thank you. Here's what we're doing for you. Today's the last day of uh, August and we're giving you this book uh, those of you that are standing with us to sow a seed, Operating in the Supernatural by Bishop David Oyedepo. It's a great and a powerful book, and uh, we want to get it in your hands. For those of you that are standing with us at $85 or more this month, if you want to claim this offer, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer and fill out the form so that we know where to send it. And we'll get this to you ASAP. If you are stretching and doing something large today, I'm going to include with that a life application study Bible, genuine leather. I'm going to sign it to you. 
It's our way of saying thank you. And if you're sowing $5,000 or more, and there's people that are doing that and much more than that, I want to send you something we put together called the Elite Study Collection. It is, in my opinion, the best study tools that you can have as a believer. And uh, over 100,000 notes on scripture take you into a deep dive. Best study you've ever had on the Bible to assist you. And that's for people that are sowing $5,000 or more. I love you guys. Don't forget, we've got new kids stuff out and there's new stuff coming out tomorrow again. And uh, looking forward to looking forward to seeing you in November. Carolyn will be back with you on the broadcast tomorrow and Friday. I'm here all week and then next Monday as well before we head to Billings, Montana. And then from there to Logan, West Virginia, it just keeps on rolling. We'd love to see you guys live in a service. I love seeing the Victory Tribe. That was one of the things that really marked these last revivals. People drove in from all over the place, hours and hours away. It was great, great to see everybody. Even in Pennsylvania, we had people come in from Michigan. We had people come in from hours away, uh, Ohio, West Virginia, different parts of Pennsylvania. It was great. And uh, I hope to see you in one of these meetings coming up very soon. I love you guys so much. Thank you for spending time with me again today. And uh, I'll be back with you tomorrow morning, 1030 a.m. And Carolyn will be back with you at 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Have a wonderful and a powerful day. And I'll talk to you again soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.